0: Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 12th of June, 2022, Jesus prayed for you. If you've been here the last several weeks, you know that we've been in John chapter 17, dealing with Jesus' prayer to his Father and specifically, specifically on behalf of his followers. So this day, we'd like to finish up this prayer in John 17. But I wanted to start by sort of reviewing where this prayer has gone. We began at the first of John 17 with Jesus talking about being glorified. That he would be glorified in the work that he has done and was about to do on the cross. And that in consequence, his father would be glorified for having orchestrated and planned and sent and commissioned him for this task. We then went to the place where he started talking about his disciples and said that they were redeemed out of the world so that the believers were not any different than anybody else until they met Jesus and came and their life was changed. Last week we looked at the concept of not being isolated because we have the desire sometimes just to escape the world and what's going on in it. But but the Lord said, no, I want them to be kept in the world, and we talked about being insulated in the midst of the world and its system. Today, we're going to see that the prayer is expanded greatly. And the title of my message speaks to that. Did you know that Jesus, in Scripture, prayed for you? Did you know that? You go. I don't remember my name being there. But look at verse 20. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, speaking of his disciples, speaking of his followers, he says, but also those who will believe in me through their word. He was praying for you. And he was praying for me. All of us who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior are in that verse and in that prayer. Jesus was looking beyond what was going to happen in the next few hours when he was going to go to the cross. He looked beyond even the resurrection and the reuniting with his disciples there after the resurrection and he was looking beyond the ascension when he would go back to heaven and he was looking down through the ages and I believe he was looking at us now that doesn't mean that we are any more special than anyone else it's just that Jesus' view was much greater than than what was going on in that upper room and on the way to the garden. It was expansive to the extent of being a worldwide prayer and a timeless prayer down through the ages, even to us. I'm reminded that then his object of his prayer was not just the believers of that day and time, But all believers. And he says, these are my, my things that I am lifting up before you, Heavenly Father, are for all of these. I was reminded of 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Jesus was talking about all, and Paul in 2 Timothy talks about how that works. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul is writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And in that one verse, verse 2, we see four generations of believers. Paul is talking of his faith and then sharing it with Timothy. Timothy then is to share it with others who in turn share it with another group. And we see how the gospel is modeled and proclaimed and accepted down through the ages. And Jesus, when he is praying, he says, I pray for those, not only these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. So what was the subject of this prayer as we come now to the closing remarks of Jesus Christ? It is a word that probably is easy to find in the passage but probably not one that would readily come to mind if we were to think of what key element would Jesus pray for his disciples? We, we could say, well, maybe he would be thinking in terms of um, their stick to in the face of trials, that they would be people who would persist and continue on. Or maybe we would say that they, he'd be praying for boldness them as they would share the gospel um, with strangers and family and friends. Could be a lot of things, but he focuses on one thing. And I think this is revealing. The subject of this prayer is oneness. Oneness. Jesus was desirous not only for that little group of men around him before he would go to be crucified but for all of us that we would fall in this category and that the category would be oneness of what? Let's look it's found in verse 21, 22 and 23 by name He says in verse 21, that they all may be one. But what is the qualification of that oneness? Listen to what he says. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, he says, whatever that picture that we would have in our mind of the unity between the Father and the Son, whatever harmony there would be in their goals and aspirations, whatever their cohesiveness would be as they think in terms of their plan for the world, He says there is is another element, and that's believers. That they would be one. And I was thinking about that, and I go, wow. Wow. The quality of this oneness, then, is that of the Godhead. That of the Godhead. we would go, oh, there's a lot of difference between all of us. We have different backgrounds, we have different interests, we have different cares, we have different concerns. How? What does this oneness look like? Let me give you a couple things that I think of, and you probably could throw in many, many more. How about purity? God is pure. There is no error. There is no fault. There is nothing corrupting. And Jesus said, for my followers, I want the same. Now, I don't believe that what Jesus was saying here was they better shape up and fall in the line here. I don't think he was talking about that. I think it's more like Paul when he talked in Romans 3.23, all who sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. God's desire was that we would enter into his glory. And I believe what Jesus was saying is, Father, you know what we have. I want them to have the same thing. That we, we would be involved in the same heart and mind and direction and goals and purposes that we would be one. I don't believe he was talking about that we would be gods. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that we would come to see that the relationship between the Father and the Son is something to be greatly desired and our goal and aspirations of life to be lived out. He writes it this way. It says the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. There we have it, that we would enter into his glory. All you have to do is go to Isaiah chapter 6 or into the book of Revelation chapters 4, 5, And we get glimpses of heaven and we get that picture of what it's like there with the adoration and the glory of God. And we go, wow, this is someplace worth staying. I love the picture of the Mount of Transfiguration. do I understand it? No, I I don't fully understand it. But Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the hill top, his inner circle of disciples, and there he was transfigured, and the disciples got to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And then, joining him were a couple of men from the Old Testament saints, and Peter and James and John are looking at this, and they're going, "Whoa." We use a word, awesome, and we we misuse it so much. That was truly an awesome moment, full of awe. What what was the response of the disciples? Let's build a worship center right here. (laughs) Let's set up some tents. Let's not move out of this mountain. Let's stay right here. This is a good thing. I don't want it to pass. I want it to stay. This is where I want to be. That was the response of the disciples when they saw the transfigured Christ. And the Old Testament saints were gone then. And the father points to the son glorifies the sun and those guys go do we really have to go from this hilltop sometimes we even use that kind of expression have a hilltop experience then we got to go back down into the valley back to life but you have the perspective of the difference I and mean, when we use those words, Jesus said, I'm praying for them to be in the glory that we experience, Father. You, me, them. That's what I want. In verse 23, he says, again, in them. I and them, and you and me, that they may be, and are you ready for this? Perfectly one. Oh, I'm so far away from that, Lord. Perfectly (laughs) one? That's where we're headed. This is our journey. This is the call on our life that we might be in that kind of communion with the Father, with the Son. Wow. He says, Father, I've desired that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. He's looking ahead now to a time when the disciples who had walked and talked with Jesus would get to see Jesus like those three did on the Mount of Transfiguration all the time. And who is he praying for? These immediate disciples? No, we already said, all of us. Jesus said, my prayer Is that for you and me to experience that glory? Let me ask you a question. It's one of those duh questions. Duh in the sense that you already know the answer and it's pretty obvious what it is. Do you ever think that Jesus prayed a bad prayer? in the sense that it was selfish and self-centered and only wanting to be satisfied for themselves. Think Jesus ever prayed a prayer like that? I'm thinking not. So if he was praying a prayer that would be in harmony with the will of God, what is he praying? (laughs) Something that's sure to happen that God the Father is going to answer this prayer and we're going to experience glory firsthand, firsthand. So what was the, the purpose of this oneness? He gives it to us in verse 21 and 23 again. In 21, he says, that they may be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In verse 23, I and them, and you and me, they, they huh? may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them as you love me. How many really enjoy evangelism? I mean, getting it out there, sharing the gospel, getting rebuffed, people snickering at you. Sign me up, pastor. I want to do that. No there you go, Oh, no. You know what Jesus' hand here? Our most effective, evangelistic tool are you ready is our oneness with one another why why is that so because the world doesn't operate that way if someone is hurt in the world what do they do I've never seen that, lived out. No, they try and get even. They try and get at them. Ephesians sort of gives us an outline. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor And slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He says, Why? Because that's how the world operates. If you want to know, that's how the flesh operates. And that's sometimes how believers operate. That's why Paul could say, Put this away, put it away. you ever been hurt by somebody? Especially a believer? How did you deal with it? Maybe you're a person who, uh, as it says here in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, let all bitterness be put away. Well, what's bitterness? It's when something gets in your gut and turns you sour. That's bitterness. Something happened to you, somebody's done something to you, and you have a tendency to take it all inside and let it chew on you and turn you inside out. But then he also uses wrath and anger because not everybody, not everybody just takes it in. Sometimes people let it out. How quick the art of fisticuffs? Boom! He says, and how are you supposed to respond to these things either? How about clamor? Just make a big fuss about it. You know what someone did to me about it? And everybody hears about it, right? about slander? Chomp them down, chop them down. Along with malice, which is sort of a general term Does this thrive any kind of other evil that you would inflict on somebody? You know, there's some people would say, I would never, never hit anybody, never. But I want to get out of church early so I can slit their tires. (laughs) You go, that's not a good response. What's the contrast to this? Is Jesus saying, I pray that they may be one. And you go, how in the world can we be one when we've got all this stuff going on and the tendency to respond in all these ways that are unholy, unspiritual, ungodly? How do we do that? Paul tells us, he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another. be kind to one another. The word kindness there is to do something practical on another's behalf. Do they deserve it? No. But what did God call us to? Kindness. tender-hearted. Boy, that's the opposite of bitterness. Not where you take it in and seethe over it, but rather that you don't let your heart get hard towards another person. You stay tender. And then it says, forgiving one another. Let it go. Can you let it go? You go why should i you know what they did to me (laughs) why should i let it go paul man paul you don't let us off the hook at all because he finishes up this verse he says as god in christ forgive you now i've shared this story before but it fits right here because we're talking about how to develop oneness, how to stay one with one another so that we can have a good testimony in front of the world. If I was upset by what somebody did and I was inclined to respond in one of these ways, it's found in verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, along with malice, If I was inclined to respond that way. And someone came up to me and said, Hey Pastor Tim, why don't you just be kind and forgiving? And why don't you just be tender-hearted towards that person? You go, and I'm not gonna punch you out now, too. (laughs) You know, but God is gracious. Because he said, Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send a comforter. The Holy Spirit is going to come and minister in your heart. So it isn't somebody else who comes to me. is the Holy Spirit who knocks on my heart's door and goes, Hey, Pastor Tim, why don't you be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving one another? At that point, I want to punch out the Holy Spirit. Bam! What are you doing? Get out of my face. I have righteous indignation. Well, Mike's not so righteous, but there's certainly indignation there. And this is something that I'm learning, and this is not where I am all the time, I can tell you. This is something I'm learning. The Holy Spirit approaches me this way. He comes and he goes, Can I have a moment with you? And I am, I mean, I am rushing towards judgment now. And the Holy Spirit comes along and he goes, Can I have a moment of your time? Then I'll let you get back to what you were doing. Oh, okay. He goes, Come with me. I go, Where are we going? And he takes us to the cross. And he goes, who's on the cross? Jesus. Why was he on the cross? For all the sins that he had done? No. He's on the cross. For my sin. Does God have legitimate right to pour out his wrath on me? Yes. Instead, what did he do? Poured his wrath out on his son. Did I deserve it? No. The point I'm making if we're to be one we have to have this kind of perspective that God has forgiven us so greatly that our our amount of need for forgiveness from someone else pales in significance how many times have we offended the God who made us. How many times we offended the Lord who claims us as his own. As part of the body of Christ, how many times has the head go, oh, yeah, that's me, that's part of who I am. This is my body. Look, Oh, my, oh, my. And that's why I believe the Lord calls us to oneness that we might have witness. And what is the key to oneness? Well, we're giving you a little bit of the indication because we saw how it worked out as God in Christ forgave you and me. But we have further instruction in John 17 here. As he says, Father, I desire that they too also whom you have given me may be with me as I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And down in verse 26, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have, which you have loved me, may be in them and I am now. key to oneness is love. What do we say love is? other centered with a purpose of enhancing their spiritual life. You we say, well, how many got this hand out? Did you not get it? There should be some available if you didn't. You can take them as you go. They're two sides in small print. For some of us senior saints, magnifying glasses are approved. Okay? But the point is, if you looked at at this list, you will see that there's quite a few passages on it. Every one of them is a one another passage. They're strewn across the New Testament. Jesus said, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have, what? Love for one another. And here he's talking about oneness, and the key is love. I gave you this not so that you would have reading material during my message, but I wasn't too concerned about it because the print was so small. But just to show you the overwhelming testimony and scripture of the need for oneness based on love for one another. There's quite a few that say, love one another, love one another. But there's other words that are are put together. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Have the same mind to one another. Judge not one another. Pursue things that make for peace, that you may edify one another. Receive one another. Greet one another. Have the same care for one another. Serve one another. Don't bite and devour one another. Wow, well, that's a pretty graphic picture there. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. Bear one another's burdens. On and on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. I think God was making Can I suggest something to you? That if there's something going on in your life that is not in harmony with the Father and the Son and you, and involves also somebody else, it is time to get those things right. That we all might be one as the Father is with the Son. And this call is on all of us as believers. The prayer was for all of us as believers. Most of you don't know this. Some of you do. Most of you don't know this. You ever had somebody say something and you wanted to come back with a, a quip that would just nail them? You ever? Never. And then a day or two later, you thought of what you should have said? You know, oh man. I don't know if it was a blessing or a cursing. But as I grew up, always had the right thing to say. Now, I'm not saying it was the right thing to say. I'm just saying I had an appropriate statement that I could make, and it came to mind at just the right time, and I could zing somebody with it. And I remember doing it. You know, there's a special talent when you can zing somebody in the audience of others and others laugh with you against them. But it wasn't really nasty enough to get your teeth punched out. But it was nasty enough for them to get the point. That was me. I could do that. I could do it. And I don't say that to my honor at all. I'm just saying that was something the Holy Spirit needed to convict me of. My wife and daughter will tell you, I still love to tease. I hope I don't cross the line. But I had to to stop doing that it didn't make for unity within the body of Christ. I did what I thought I could get away with but it didn't build unity. There was no oneness and there was very very little love in my statements. But it was something that the Holy Spirit convicted me. So if I zing you, just go, Pastor Tim, I see see that you're in process, aren't you? (laughs) Call me and say, well, are you gonna repent? (laughs) Why, there's something greater is experiencing the glory of God. Experience his unity with the Father and the Son. And he's invited me into that presence. That's better. And this prayer ends that way. I may know to them your name. I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Heavenly Father, thank you for this prayer of your Son. Thank you that it reached down through the ages and grips our hearts today. May we experience that oneness. May we run from everything that distracts from that oneness. May we cling to your presence and we look forward to being with you for all eternity. We offer this prayer in the name of that Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior.